0: you need help with branding and visuals for your small business how about new podcast art this episode of up discussion is brought to you in part by alexandra ekstrom's graphic design and illustration services if you're looking to inject some character and personality into your brand alex is an absolute wizard at this stuff and you owe it to yourself to go check out her stuff at alexandraekstrom.ca i love alex's work so much that i actually have some of her art hanging on the wall above my desk i'm looking at it as we speak it's a cool snail and it brings me a lot of joy so yeah what are you waiting for go to her website hire her alexandraekstrom.ca. That's E-K-S-T-R-O-M. Or, you know, you can hit the link in the description to this episode for ease of access. This episode of the Upper Discussion podcast is brought to you in part by Whiskey Lane. Launched in Kelowna, BC, and now expanding to Montreal, Whiskey Lane is on a mission to share their obsession with quality food and drinks with growing audiences by keeping the best local flavors on their minds and on their tongues. No matter what your business needs to grow, Whiskey Lane knows how to make it happen. Whiskey Lane, bringing long lines to the producers of specialty food and drinks. Go to whiskeylane.ca to find out more. And that's whiskey, the Canadian way, without an e. I hope you understand It just takes a little time Hey everybody, welcome to the season finale of Up for Discussion's review of Guy Fieri's Tournament of Champions Season 2. This is the uh, finale episode both of Tournament of Champions Season 2 and of our review series. Uh, I am Tom Zalatni. I'm Matt
1: Cole. I introduced myself here. I remember (laughs) how this show works.
0: And we have a wonderful guest joining us again today uh, for the second time, Amanda McLaughlin, um, Amanda, thanks for joining us again.
2: You're quite welcome. I did take notes, by the way, as I listened to the last episode of your uh, UFDTOC2. Um, so I just wanted to real quick, just respond to your previous podcast, which is uh, one, totally agree about the point total compared to Chopped. Like I would love to know the difference in judging between this, where everybody is just writing down numbers and CHOP, which includes like conversation and deliberation. Um, and I, I totally agree. I don't think that they give one shit about the use of the device like this is not iron chef judging at all um and and nancy just says what she thinks is good and if it's california she thinks it's good and if she if it's not she doesn't so i just i was like i was like yes you' guy you got it right yes i totally agree
0: yeah i uh i had feelings about nancy again last night so but we'll get yeah. into it as did i <laughs> yeah um yeah so this is it y'all this is the uh the finale of tournament of champions season two let's get into it we have a packed show today uh because we had a tiebreaker matchup to kick off the night where it was uh of course jet tila going up again against antonio Lafaso. the randomizer gave them hamachi collars white asparagus the injector spherical and 30 minutes uh amanda what would you have done with this so I would have
2: also done just a kind of like straight roasting of the fish, um, probably also a reverse sear, because that's how I feel most confident in searing things, um, would have blanched and then grilled the white asparagus. And I think I would have done like a roasted portobello mushroom injected with like some kind of soy umami uh, situation. So not too different from what those guys ended up doing. Um, but the, the spherical really threw me. I, I was just like, oh, I don't know, cut the asparagus the way Antonia did and like have a round <laughs> mushroom. Uh, I'll just, I guess I'll try that and then maybe serve it all on top of the mushroom i think that will be my answer okay okay
1: matt what do you got so here's the part of the show where i have to admit that like i'm out of my league you know this <laughs> uh this cutting edge randomizer was like i don't know mm-hmm. i don't know any of these things i've never eaten any of these things uh so i i've never had hamachi collars i'm not a huge fish person i've had regular green ass asparagus i've never had white asparagus and been all fancy <laughs> with it but the one thing I do know, and that apparently Jet Tila and Antonio Lafaso don't know, is that a sphere is not a circle. <laughs> Those two things are different.
2: Don't worry, <laughs> the judges didn't you care You can't either. cut a
1: disc and call it a sphere. It's not spherical. It's not how this works. Yeah. Um, so I, I had this idea, right, where like, I was like, all right, so I don't know what a mochi collar is. I don't know what white asparagus is. But I do know what a sphere is. So let's make a sphere and go from there. <laughs> and I was like, what if? What if you took a coconut and you like cut off the top of a coconut and then you injected and cooked the fish in coconut milk and made like an asparagus uh, a salad seems like the wrong word but like an asparagus bake of asparagus and other fancy vegetables and then you put all of that shit in the coconut and then you have a spherical dish which checks exactly one box. And that was the only box I felt confident in checking, so that that's where I went.
0: I don't hate that. I I hadn't thought of like hollowing out a coconut and using it as a like dish, but I think that's really smart. I uh, I like that a lot. I um I went the direction of um so yeah. I had the same issue where I the only note I wrote down for this round was I'm worried that Antonia thinks spherical and cylindrical are the same thing. Uh, <laughs> I, I feel like the judges really were not harsh enough on either of them about spherical because like yeah, like their plates were a little bit rounded at the bottom, but like
2: Nancy was like a round plate and I was like Nancy, not a sphere. But no like what like, like you Nancy. were saying, the- I think that the <laughs> style in this in this randomizer was too like a tool and so they just did not give one shit the whole time.
0: Yeah. And I was I was really mad about it, especially when like the only spherical element on Antonia's plate was peas. <laughs> And I yeah. was like, okay, right, get your humble peas out of here. I did appreciate that Jet used the melon baller. And honestly, the second I saw Jet pull out a melon baller, I was like, mm, I think Jet's going to win this one because he knows what a sphere is. But I went when I heard spherical, my mind went straight to what is something I know how to cook that I can make into like more or less a perfect sphere? Uh, and the answer, there's two things. One is a donut, which I didn't think was the right move with Hamachi collars and white asparagus. Uh, the other is, um, now this is something that when I Google it, The pictures that come up are different from how I grew up cooking it, which makes me think that either my mom bastardized this recipe or my mom's Mexican friend that she learned it from bastardized her own family's recipe or something. I don't totally know. But there is something called a gordita, which uh, fans of Taco Bell might recognize (laughs) as being part of the uh, gordita crunch or whatever. Um, The way that my family does gorditas is that it's basically like masa, like, you know, corn flour dough stuffed with... You know, cheese, beans, whatever you want uh, Rolled into a perfect little ball And then deep fried Almost like a like a donut hole Except savory um, Whereas like when you Google gordita It's like really not that far off From from like a Oh crap, arepa, there we go <laughs> <Awesome>. <laughs> Anyway uh, the, the point is uh, My gorditas are untraditional But they are still deep fried balls of delicious corn Whatever uh, So I was thinking I'd make gordita But like a really big one Um, and I would do the hamachi collar, which I also have never eaten before, but I was like, all right, it's, you know, kind of fish, kind of fatty, whatever. I'll cook it up with like a lemon pepper seasoning. Um, and then put that in the gordita, like chopped up finely or whatever. Um, and then I would make a puree of the white asparagus. Um, and I would inject lemon juice into the gordita with the hamachi, uh, to use the, you know, injector. Um, and then I would top the gordita with that asparagus puree as like almost a little like gentle, goopy blanket Uh, and (laughs) then I thought of putting salmon roe on top of it um, because roe is also you know spherical and I was like how can I make every element of this as spherical as possible
2: or capers even would be really nice Ooh, that's better capers is another good
0: one capers is better yeah yeah, especially playing with the lemon pepper capers is a lot better. I like that.
2: It strikes me that none of us went to like fish balls, you know, like a round <laughs> crab cake yes, or something. Yeah. I think hamachi is yeah. too nice. Like I've never eaten it or heard of a collar <laughs> as a cut of something. So I just didn't know, but I feel like that would have been a real gimme.
0: I feel like it was a loss that they both just like fried the collar and put it on the plate. And I'm like, what's yeah. the, like, you you don't have spherical. If the major, if the protein in your dish is an enormous hunk of like what looks like bone like i'm not going to get spherical from that no matter how many of the elements on your plate are small and round or you know cylindrical
1: i also would say like in the defense of jet and antonia i don't think spherical is a style but that is not a <laughs> style of cooking i'm
2: so mad like even if it were 15 years ago and iron chef and wiley Dufresne was the judge i'd be like okay that's not a style
1: Right, yeah. Like, when the other styles we saw were frozen, smoked, and one ingredient three ways, like... Three, three of those things are styles. Yeah. One yeah. of them is a shape, and that shape is a sphere. <laughs> and we didn't see many spheres on this episode. They could
2: have even said liquid nitrogen, and it would have been a lot better. You know, like if if that was a, a tool they required, like you know how to mm-hmm. use that. But I, I completely agree. Spherical is a look; it's not a style.
0: Yeah. Yes. Now, if they had just changed the word style on the randomizer to adjective, I would have been totally fine with this. But yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so of course we had Jet did his uh, very simple but elegant salt grilled hamachi collar with an agadashi tofu and antonia did a roasted hamachi collar with fennel puree brown butter asparagus and english peas nancy called the plate spherical it was not <laughs> spherical. nancy doesn't know what a plate is but nancy does know how to dress like a mushroom yes <laughs> very true so one point difference jet one exciting i'm not mad about it 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 does ruin my bracket Jet was the last person in my bracket, except for Darnell, who I, you know, didn't think was going to win. I thought he'd make it to the, to the finals, but I didn't think he was going to win. Uh, but, you know, I'm okay. I survived. This
1: was the last matchup that I got wrong, so I only missed two. Wow, And Pretty it was impressive. this one, and it was Darnell and Tiffany, so... I was disappointed to start the episode. Not too disappointed because I was happy that Jet won. I was excited to see Jet move Mm -hmm. forward, but I was disappointed that it was the second notch on my near-perfect bracket.
2: Well, I hope you don't beat yourself up too hard because this is completely unconceivable. Uh, like this is definitely not the result that I think most people would have said. And like no. Jet is a good cook, but he, he was cooking like the best I've ever seen him cook um, yeah. today. And he also revealed that he worked on a, a boat like as a deckhand for many years. And I was like, that's it. He does have big boat guy energy. Like that. that's exactly right.
0: Yeah, Yeah. super does. Learning that about Jet's backstory made me kind of turn around on him a little bit. Because I, I have said, before that like having once heard him say that he would be a cop if he wasn't a chef made me kind of like not like him that much but honestly like seeing the way that he seeing the way that he has really clearly respected the other chefs that he's been playing against in the past couple rounds seeing how genuinely thrilled he was for Antonia when they tied seeing how like humble he's been throughout this like end of the series and then learning that he you know grew up like I it from what it sounds like to me (laughs) when he said that he would be a cop if he wasn't a chef, it was less about, I like cops, and more about, that's the other thing I could have done with my life. <laughs> and yeah, I think he's... that having chosen to become a chef instead speaks to his character, so... I've turned he's around also... on him a little bit.
2: He's also played for, like, military charities before, like, uh, like service dogs for returning veterans, so I I definitely see that, hopefully, less of, like, I, I endorse a police state, and more, like, <laughs> these are jobs available to me, and this mm-hmm. is the one I ended up in.
0: Yeah, because... Uh, Fuck the police.
2: Truly. As soon as though he said gochujang, I groaned. I totally had one of these like judging flash forwards where I was like, they are going to say that the gochujang is out of place. And he is mm. going to be like, when is the last time you had contemporary Japanese cuisine? Huh? Yep. Marcus? And uh, they, they completely did. And I was yep. so mad. Well, no. Yeah, in,
0: you
1: really called it there.
0: In all fairness, Marcus didn't say that the gochujang was out of place. Marcus said that the kochijong was out of place. He's super duper. He didn't, didn't say pronounce that it weird. Right.
1: Yep. Yeah, he super did say that weird. Yep.
2: He speaks many more languages than me. And I I don't think I have the authority on how
0: it's pronounced. But I was also like, huh? All right. Should we move on to the semifinals?
2: Let's do it. Not the final four I would have chosen, but I was very impressed <laughs> and excited um, to then have Darnell go up against Manit. And the randomizer gives us Sturgeon, persimmons, the raclette melter, had to look up what that was, and frozen, which my mind just went completely blank. So, Tom, what would you have made?
0: Yeah, so I grew up with a raclette melter, so that was nice. What? Did you you really? Yeah. Where? So, so the raclette, like, I did not recognize the raclette melter that they were using. It looked different from what we had growing up. But I had an image in my mind, and I kind of understood, like, mechanically. Like, I think they work pretty similarly. Um, When I was growing up, we had a raclette that was basically a tabletop grill that had little warming tray kind of things that you could take out, put cheese and stuff inside of, pop them in. It's like a... It's kind of halfway between fondue and Korean barbecue, you know? So I immediately was like, okay, cool. Like, I kind of know this. I know that I can use that Reclat Melter just to warm something, to, like, melt something, whatever. And then I thought about it, and I was like, well, you could probably also use it to, like, smoke something. Um, And then I thought about the sturgeon as, like, a fish that is, like, nice raw. Like, it has a really good, like, raw flavor. And I was like, okay, what if I do, like, a raw smoked sturgeon poke bowl? Um, Because that I can do relatively easily, because you don't have to cook everything, and then I can focus on figuring out my like freezing situation. Um, so where I got to with this was a smoked sturgeon poke bowl with persimmon dressing, and frozen roe as the um, mm. frozen element. Because I thought about it, and I was like, still thinking about roe from the previous round, uh, and I was like, well, I don't want to like mess around with making ice cream, because I don't know how to make ice cream, <laughs> but I sure as hell <laughs> know how to like take something that's already a thing and put it in the freezer for a little while. And I thought about, like. You know, with a Poke Bowl, it's already fresh. It's already cold. So it wouldn't be too jarring to have those little pops of frozen fish egg as, like, a topping on the top of it. Totally.
1: Nice. Matt, how about you? Yeah. um, This was another one of, like, I've never had sturgeon before. And we talked about persimmon once on this podcast. (laughs) I didn't even know what it was. Uh, So I also had to Google what a raclette melter was. uh, Because growing up, we just had a toaster oven. (laughs) And so... I got kind of caught up again on the style with frozen. And I was like, well, I know ice cream is sort of the easy answer for frozen here. And I wanted to try and go a different way than ice cream. So I was thinking like, well, what can you freeze that has some sort of value to a dish frozen that isn't ice cream? And it got me thinking about, follow me, a frozen stick of butter and having like a plated sturgeon steak where you then have a butter that is a frozen stick of butter that you can rub on the steak to butter your steak at the table.
2: Are you picturing like a compound butter like with flavoring that you then refreeze and then they can grate? I
1: super am, yeah. I love Um, that. Because I wrote persimmon butter down, right? So like you make a uh, like spiced persimmon butter and you put a little bit of acid in there too. You refreeze that butter as like I don't know what to call it other than a stick or a Baybel disc which I think a tournament of champions would be a Baybel spe- sphere. And <laughs> then you just plate it with the fish and you rub it on the fish. And there you go. And that's what I got.
2: I love that. You can do it a la Minute. Who was it on Guys Grocery Games who was obsessed with tableside service was a Blaze. I think it was Blaze during one of the uh, Yes, the it's Judge Richard Blaze yeah, is like yeah,
1: yeah. all in on the tableside plating.
2: I mean, imagine making Justin or Simon Jamdar do like tableside butter grating. It would have been epic.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I love that.
2: I was also a little bit stuck on this. And I the thing that came to mind for me that I was trying to make work was a sort of like sweet, savory brunch situation. Um, almost like a bagel and lox inspired thing. So I think in that time I could have made a biscuit. Um, I would have toasted it under the raclette. I know it's not very creative, but they don't care. So neither do I. Um, and then I would do smoked sturgeon, um, serve it cold with persimmon jam. And I was going back and forth between like a cream cheese, like a savory kind of... Uh, like very thick ice cream that's more cream cheesy. But I think I ended in the, uh, you know, at the end of the day on frozen uh, dill and capers. So Tom, Mm. definitely thinking on the same level Um, because something I often crave in bagels and lox because I can't eat onion is like a textural frozen crunchy element. Um, So I end up going for like a crunchy bagel, uh, like crunchy outside, bagel inside. Lots of opinions on bagels. So that was where I (laughs) I ended up.
0: Nice. As a Montrealer, I uh, also have lots of opinions on bagels. And I think that sounds really nice. (laughs) I love the idea of frozen capers. It's fun. I
2: think I might just freeze some capers at home. It sounds really tasty.
0: I always prefer capers cooked into stuff over raw. So I don't know. I guess like frozen is one step further from cooked than, than raw is. So maybe I wouldn't like it. But I'd, I'd be keen to try it because it sounds fun, you know?
1: So by what you just said, I'm I'm going to call you out on this, that frozen is a step in the opposite direction of cooked, which would make... Milk, just raw ice cream. (laughs) And I don't like thinking of milk as a raw thing and ice cream as a less cooked thing
0: than milk. Sure.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It is backing away from
2: a hot dish. So, from that perspective, I definitely (laughs) understand. But, like, maybe even I'm thinking now, like, maybe it's more of a kind of like aerated frozen, you know, ricotta cream cheese, whatever, with Mm. capers in it, like folded in. That would be fun.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I liked that Manit said she was going to make more of a frozen yogurt Mm -hmm. than uh, an ice cream because with everything she was talking about, I was like, yeah, like a yogurt sauce sounds really, really good with this. And then she kind of just ended up making ice cream and that was a little bit of a bummer. Like, I, I really felt like, much like in the spherical round, frozen as a style was relatively underserved here. And I get that there was... 50 minutes of time, so Darnell botching his first round of ice cream was an easy mistake to fix. But they never showed him fixing that mistake. It was just like, oh, he plated ice cream. And so I never really got a handle on... What Darnell's frozen element ended up being?
0: Yeah, because
1: after he botched the first one, they never showed him going back to it.
0: Well, so he didn't go back to it. So what he did was, uh, rather than say, "Okay, well, it took me less than half the time to fuck up the first attempt at the ice cream," I still definitely have time to try it again. What he did instead was uh, take the same like mixture that he was going to make into ice cream through the ice cream maker, uh, and take it over to the like, <laughs> I think he called the it a anti- reverse grill. griddle.
2: My favorite pe- my favorite character on Chopped, the anti-griddle. It's it is lovely. like a hot plate, but cold. <laughs> I, I love it with, with all of my heart. It is like <laughs> the rich person, weird one use appliance I would buy for my kitchen if I had one.
0: Yeah, it's amazing. It's the thing that like you always see people like, there was this trend a few years ago where everyone was doing rolls of ice cream. Uh, so he yeah. just took that thing and used it to make ice cream, which I thought was really smart. Um, but I do think that it threw his game off a little bit. Uh, and at the end of the day, uh, they, the judges were impressed by his dish, and they were, like, into it, but not as into it as Manit's that, like, clearly was what she was going for from the beginning, you know?
1: Yeah, I'm going to call it what it is. I did not think Darnell's dish sounded very good. I'm not going to lie. I was I was underwhelmed by what Darnell put out. Not that it wasn't wildly creative, because it definitely was. Um, it kind of ended up in that Michael Voltaggio category of like, that's a really creative thing that I would never put in my mouth. Um, and I, I just wasn't in love with it as an idea.
0: Did you yeah. catch that uh, after leaving fry bread off of his uh, plate and going home last year, he fried some bread in this round?
1: to try I it super did, yeah.
0: <laughs> I appreciated that.
2: I know. I, I was actually really impressed with how, how it came out. Like, that combo is not something I would ever think of. But the fact that many of the judges did clear their plate, like many of them ate it all, um, I thought really spoke, you know, to what he achieved. And like, I've had candied salmon. It's delicious. Like, I love the idea of candied fish. And I, I just, I want to see so much more of him. Like, I, I wish he were on TV more. From what Guy says, it sounds like he'll be back. I mean, he also like has five kids and a lot of restaurants. So fair enough. I'm not, you know, not judging the guy for it. But I, I wish I could have seen him advance. Um, I think it would have been really- Really, really fascinating to see him uh, up against Brooke and, mm-hmm. you know, bummer. But Manit was the one to advance. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I mean, I definitely like I have one of Darnell's restaurants kind of right down the street from me. And it's very good. And I like going there for breakfast a lot. Um, and I feel like he just needs to hone his competition skills a little bit. It's and very I, I think it's yeah. just like he hasn't done quite enough rapid competition cooking because a lot of his wins are from like thanksgiving cooking championship or thanksgiving baking championship or whichever one um where it's a little more of a long-term competition as opposed to like here's a basket of weird ingredients make something with it Uh, and i I think that kind of showed in his appearance in the first tournament of champions and then in this one again
2: I would love to see him on Iron Chef. I think that will be the perfect venue for him to be like, you have, you know, however long they give him, like three days notice of the ingredient to plan. You get to pick your team. He's clearly used to running kitchens and like being efficient and he's so creative. And if he can pull this stuff out of like an actual surprise basket, I would love to see what he brings to the table in, um, in something where you can make five courses with two help, you know, two helpers and an hour.
1: Yeah. yeah.
0: Hey, it's the midroll. If you're enjoying the show so far, make sure to hit subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on so that you never miss a new episode. While you're at it, consider leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or sharing this episode with a friend. For every new rating and review I get during the month of April, I'll be donating $2 to The Depot, my local food bank here in Montreal. They can turn every $1 into $3, which means that your free rating and review does $6 of good for a family in need. That's crazy math, you should do it. You can read about everything that The Depot is doing at the link in the description below. This is the final week for our network's big Indiegogo campaign. We're in the homestretch. We made it. At the time of recording, we've raised just under $3,600, which is amazing. We've far surpassed our original goal but there's still a few days left to donate and get some rad perks and every dollar we make off this thing will go a long way toward helping us do lots of awesome projects here for years to come right now we're trying to hit a stretch goal of 37 50 so that we can launch a summer internship program to train and pay someone in our community to learn the ins and outs of podcasting and to give them the tools they'll need to produce their own show going forward want to help us raise that last chunk of money it's like less than 200 at this point i think it's like 150 163 i think if my math is right You can help us raise that last $163. Go donate! There's some amazing perks available to donors, including guest spots on this very show. If you've got even a buck to spare, hit the Indiegogo link in the description of this episode and go donate. (laughs) A lot of the perks that hadn't been claimed yet have been reduced to super low rates for the final week of the campaign, so you should definitely go check it out, even if you looked at it already before, to see if any of the new prices or any of the new perks grab your eye. Catch your eye, get your attention, are exciting for you is the sentence. Anyway, fans of this show might like the $12 perk where you can request a bonus episode reviewing a local restaurant, which is a great way to, you know, support the restaurant industry in Montreal (laughs) by kind of giving them some publicity. Um, You also might like the $50 perk where you can commission a feature-length deep dive episode exploring the ins and outs of a food of your choice in, like, way greater detail than usual. Like, I'm gonna do research and, like, write a bunch of stuff. Um, Or maybe you'll like the $35 perk where you can punish me by forcing me to watch a movie because I don't like watching movies. And then I'll have to, like, review it on here as a bonus episode, which is a little off-brand for a food podcast, but you know what? Punishing me is not. Some food is punishment. (laughs) And, of course, if money is tight, which is super fair, we also have a really great referral contest going where you can get over $200 in perks just by getting your friends to donate on your behalf. So you can feel free to message me for info about that if you need help getting it set up. And remember that by the time this episode comes out, I think there's two, maybe three days left to donate. So if you are at all interested in claiming any of those perks... You're going to want to act, like, right now. You're going to want to do this as quickly as humanly possible at the Indiegogo link in the description of this episode. All right, let's get back to the show.
1: All right, so uh, that takes us to Battle 3, which was Jet Tila for his fourth, fourth time in this competition. I don't know. Jet Tila cooked a lot. And Brooke Williamson. And the randomizer gave them alligator, lion's mane mushrooms, the ISI... Smoked in 50 minutes. So Amanda, I'm curious, what would you have made with this uh, randomizer?
2: This is the one that kind of broke my brain. And I think what I would have done is a stew. I think like Jet, I would just like toss some stuff on the grill and started, you know, getting like smoky flavor. But I think I would go with like a smoked tomatoes, okra, mushrooms, uh, make cornbread on the side with some Aya side smoked paprika butter like a kind of very airy sort of whipped butter with a little bit of heat in it um i don't know if you can successfully stew alligator for that long i imagine some kind of pressure cooker and tenderizing uh, combo would be necessary but that is the direction i would go kind of like a gumbo presenting um style of stew
0: yeah i i got stuck on this one i have never had alligator my understanding of alligator has always been that it's like a little bit chickeny but harder to cook and so my brain went to okay I'm gonna, you know, <laughs> take a page from uh, from my usual playbook here, and I'm gonna pound the alligator into a, you know, super thin piece, bread it and yeah. fry it, and make yeah. a schnitzel out of it. Um, yeah. And I thought about it, and I was like, okay, like I like when I think about non-chicken or pork being breaded and fried, I think about country fried steak. And when I think about country fried steak, I think or chicken fried steak, chicken fried steak is what I mean. Can you call Both of those things mean the same thing. Okay, cool. Good. Uh, Yeah. So I think about chicken fried steak and I think about like a gravy on top of it. And I was like, okay, well, mushroom gravy is already a thing. So I'm going to make a lion's mane gravy to put over my alligator steak and then uh, pipe it through the ISI, which uh, at first I was like, what the hell is an ISI? I have no idea, but it's a fancy whipped cream canister, whatever. Um, The smoked element, I really wasn't sure what I wanted to do with that. But, you know, you can smoke anything. I would, I would maybe just, like, put a little liquid smoke in the mushroom goop. I don't know.
2: They <laughs> don't care. Neither should you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's it.
0: Um, yeah, I wasn't feeling super inspired by this one. I just got overwhelmed and plowed through it.
1: Right on. Uh, well, this was the only protein in this episode that I've actually eaten. Okay. Um, yeah, I had alligator, and I like alligator, and it is exactly that. It's just, like, tough chicken. Uh, it's tough chicken, but the most flavorful parts of alligator are, like, the least flavorful parts of chicken, Um, as opposed to, like, where chicken, you know, your your breast is, like, kind of flavorful, but not a lot, and your legs have a little bit more flavor to them. Um, Your dark meat in alligator has about as much flavor as, like, your light meat in chicken. Mm. Um, But, Tom, I went the exact same way that you did. Uh, I would have... Beat the crap out of that thing, breaded, fried it. I would have made tenders. Like, we haven't seen enough tenders on Food Network. Yes. Uh, Bring, make make tendies great again. Uh, That's a thing that I said on the internet. (laughs) But I also thought about, uh, like, a mushroom gravy. But I wanted to do mashed potatoes with those tenders, too. Mm. So, like, I would have done tenders. I would have done, like, a lion's mane mushroom mash Uh, And then I would have done an ISI gravy over the whole thing. Uh, And then the big kicker was that I would have done a spicy alligator. Um, So I probably would have marinated it for a while the way that Brooke did and then made like a smoky chipotle sauce to go over top of it, Nice, Um, which I I think would have been really good and exactly the kind of food that I like to eat. Um, But this was the one randomizer that I was like, oh, my God, things I know. Look at that. What do you know? (laughs)
2: I'm not picturing alligator like uh, chicken nuggies, like little little popper chicken nuggies. I would eat it. Yeah,
1: yeah, sure. Especially (laughs) if they were the ones that are in the shapes of little alligators, like alligators is alligators. Perfect. (laughs) So I thought that it was really interesting the direction that Jet and Brooke both went because Jet went for a mole, Mm -hmm. which was like a weird call and kind of a last minute pivot And then Brooke went with, I think, the most elegant cooking of alligator that I've ever seen. (laughs) Like, I've never had alligator that isn't fried or in a burger of some sort. Like, this is the only ways I've ever had alligator in my (laughs) life. Uh, And so to see, like, a, I think she called it a pan-roasted alligator tail over a lion's mane mushroom cream sauce. It's like, what a fancy way to cook Bayou food. Yeah.
0: I was um I was a little thrown by the choice to use faro in uh, Farro, Farro? I don't know. But uh, I've heard both. Because in my experience, like, that's not good. Like, <laughs> as they were, as she was, as she Tom. was explaining what she was going to do with the dish, and she was like, yeah, so I'm going to, you know, cook this Faro down with some like smoked slab bacon. I turned to Tefer, and I was like, Sh- she's using Faro. And Tefer said, does she, does she want to lose? But- you know, to her credit, she won by seven points. So uh, clearly, if you're cooking for Nancy was, uh, Silverton,
2: you know, yeah. Nancy Silverton loves an heirloom grain. I yeah,
1: do. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, I thought that um, it, it was not surprising who won, especially when they called Jets Alligator like tough and dry. Mm-hmm. That really didn't surprise me. Um, But I was a little bit surprised that they didn't give him more credit for going in the mole direction because I thought it was such a creative thing to do with Alligator. And I feel like, you know, not necessarily saying that he should have won in that matchup, but I'm surprised that he got as low a score as he did. I thought it was a little little less than what he deserved.
0: I think that the issue that he faced with the mole was that he didn't put enough of the sauce itself on the plate, right? Because they were saying, you know, the alligator was dry and tough and having more mole on it would have just like fixed that problem so like it's one thing like yeah it was creative to use mole but like he didn't execute the mole well right and like I think that if we had been watching you know <laughs> I think if we'd been watching Bobby Flay decide to make alligator mole he would have knocked it out of the park because Bobby yeah. Flay knows mole but Jet really like I think in a moment of panic decided to do something out of his comfort zone and like as soon as he said that I was like Jet's going to go home like Jet is someone who he's like classically trained in French and I think it was French and Japanese or French and Thai, French and Thai. Well, I know he, he is Thai, but I think he said he like, studied in Japan, But either way, he's like, oh, okay. he's like two schools of classically trained chef. Neither of them is, you know, <laughs> Latin American food. So as soon as he yeah. said that, I was like, "Oh jet, no, baby, baby. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> Antonia should make the mole, because this is what she does. You should not make the mole. Don't make the mole." And yeah, I was no, surprised. I wasn't surprised.
2: I was surprised that Rocco Despirito called it spot on mole. That was specifically what he said. And I think to your point, if you if you had more of the sauce, like the, the part that seemed to be really on and good and layered and nuanced, maybe it would be different. Though I actually loved the plating. I thought it was really cool. If I'd ordered mole, it was served like that. I'd be like, fascinating. Like I would, you know, it would really intrigue me to, you know, kind of see the dish in a new light and try more. But yeah, it was a, a decisive victory for Brooke.
0: So let's move into our finale. We have <laughs> last year's champ, Brooke Williamson against uh, this year's champ, spoilers, Manish Chauhan. <laughs> <Mindique laughs> um, this was nuts. So so guy said you know we're gonna we're gonna really ramp things up because it's the final round and uh the randomizer gave them langoustine which is uh it looks like a big shrimp but it tastes a little bit more like lobster fresh wasabi so like the root as opposed to a paste liquid nitrogen and one ingredient three ways specifically the langoustine had to be made three ways did either of you actually come up with Three ways to make langostine, or should we just dissect what the others did?
2: Mine were all derivatives on lobster dishes. It was not interesting. I would have done langostine benedict, uh, langostine bisque, and langostine lobster roll. I'm from Long Island. We do lobster rolls. That's
1: what I would have done. Nice. So I had this idea of like, well, first, I, I don't know what a langostine is. And L- I saw little it. I like, like a prawn little guy. Of prawn. prawn. <laughs> shrimp ass shrimp. Basically. And uh, yeah, they were like, oh no, it tastes more like lobster. It's like, weird. I didn't see that coming. But like, I I love crustacean like shellfish is is what I'm into so like lobster um, crawfish is is one of my favorites too and so I had this thought of like well instead of doing three different dishes with langoustine wouldn't it be cool if you did one dish that had langoustine three ways in it was the way that I went and so I kind of had this idea in my head before they said it was more like lobster than shrimp but I was like ah whatever cooks the same uh, so I had in my head, like, do a shrimp boil, do a crab boil, do a Langostine boil. Everything boils. But I would have made the broth water for my Langostine boil with the Langostine shells and then cooked Langostine in the broth. And then I also would have made, like, a Langostine wasabi cocktail sauce. Because, okay. like, I love me a good Damn. seafood boil and... Definitely something that people tell me is a crime, but I do it anyway, is like I love a side cup of cocktail sauce to just like mash whatever is on my fork into. Um, If I have a fork, like if I'm just like pasting my hands with cocktail (laughs) sauce, I'm into that too. But yeah, I would have done a Lango boil. I kept writing Lango because I didn't (laughs) want to keep writing out Lango Steen. So a Lango boil with Lango (laughs) wasabi cocktail sauce in Lango shell broth. Lango three ways. That's what
2: I got. Sounds great. I'd eat it
0: triple lingo yeah i similarly like took the approach of like what if i could you know make all three of them kind of fit into one dish uh and my mind went straight to japanese food that i don't have a ton of experience making but certainly have a ton of experience eating um so my brain went to first off i'd love to do some kind of like legistine sushi so i don't know maybe just a very simple like uh, nigiri you know some some nice rice with with a langoustine on it and then you know the the wasabi I could very easily just turn into wasabi the then I thought about doing it tempura because again pretty straightforward it's kind of like a shrimp
1: is there a protein that you cannot bread and fry like if you bread and fry any protein <laughs> I'm gonna eat it
0: yeah I think, like, like, genuinely you can just bread and fry any protein, right? Um, The third one was where I got a little bit stuck and also kind of went in the direction of, like, okay, well, like, maybe I should just, like, smash this up (laughs) and turn it into some kind of goop, which I think, was it Brooke who turned it? Yeah, Brooke turned it into a hollandaise sauce, almost. Brooke turned it into a broken hollandaise sauce, and that's why she lost, but the idea of turning the langoustine into some kind of sauce did occur to me. And I thought about like, okay, like maybe plate this up with a nice, like langoustine miso soup. Um, so like blend the langoustine with miso and cook Mm. that down into some kind of soup. I don't know. Um, I really had a lot of trouble with this one. Uh, The other thing that I did think about, though, is that I would love to, when I'm faced with doing langoustine three ways, my brain immediately goes, wouldn't it also be fun to have mangosteen on the plate, Uh, which is like a tropical fruit that kind of tastes like lychee and all the other tropical fruits combined into one, and it's sort of got a weird texture. Um, And I thought about that and was like, well, I don't know how to use that, but the liquid nitrogen could maybe turn it into like a cool ice cream or something. So I don't know. This was a hard round.
1: Yeah, it was. I didn't have anything for the liquid nitrogen. I don't know. That's just Richard Blaze uses it on Triple G all the time. And that's all I got. I, other than that, it, it was in one of my favorite James Bond movies. And that was cool. I don't know how to cook with liquid nitrogen.
2: Man, I wish someone did like a, an appropriate level of wasabi sort of like palate cleanser sorbet ice cream. You could do like like a dip and dots style with yeah. the liquid nitrogen. would be really fun.
0: Love me some Dippin' Dots. That's what I was thinking with the salmon roe earlier. The frozen roe was like, it's kind of like Dippin' Dots, but savory. It isn't
2: not. I live very close to like a very famous uh, like lox producer here in in Brooklyn. Um, And they sell sometimes salmon roe. They'll sell like an eight ounce container for like $10 or something absurd like that. And so occasionally my partner and I will have a bunch of uh, roe in the fridge and be like, "Hmm, what should we do with all this roe we have accidentally? And so next time I'm going to try freezing it. I'll report back. I'll let you know how it is.
0: Please do. Yeah, I'm really curious curious about that. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. yeah. So I did not catch uh, all of Manit's dishes because Lord knows there were enough dishes to try and very quickly scribble down in my notes uh, during this episode. But I did catch all of Brooke's dishes. So Brooke did a grilled langoustine, cucumber, watermelon, radish, ceviche langoustine, and a six-minute egg and langoustine hollandaise. And she broke her hollandaise, Mm. which is a cardinal sin of hollandaise sauce. And uh, I had I had eggs Benedict yesterday morning. So as I was watching her make her hollandaise and then watched it break, I was like, "Oh no, Brooke, no!"
2: It's like a Top Chef style infraction, where it's like something so small and so silly that you just you know, when you have everybody playing at the top level of the industry, Tom Colicchio has to say something, and he has to say, "You you know what you're here for," and they're like, "Yes, Tom, I know. I'm sorry." And then and then that's it.
1: Yep. Yeah, I did manage to get most of Manit's dishes down. Uh, she did a langoustine bisque, an Aji Amarillo langoustine with Bellini, and she also did the langoustine ceviche, um, which I... Okay, so like, let me call it what it is. I don't like ceviche sure. to begin with. It's not something that I enjoy. Uh, I thought it was kind of a cop-out for a dish three ways, because like, ceviche is quick and easy, and I guess that's a really good play. You know, it's it's definitely an easy way to get a third dish in with the time that you have. But I don't know, just like, just cut it and put it on the plate and call it ceviche and you're done. Like, do something more creative than that was, was my takeaway from both people doing ceviche.
0: I don't know. I would disagree. I think that ceviche, by virtue of being, like, cooked by the acid that it, like, sits in it's it's so different texturally it's so different like it's a it's cold as opposed to the other two i think that it's a smart play in terms of like not wanting to just give them three cooked dishes that are the same you know like i I think that it especially with mineats using mango and mint as the flavoring for it which is just like not a traditional ceviche like usually it's like you know peppers and and tomato and like cilantro and stuff like to to go in the direction of like a little bit more tropical and to use the mint which like has a really nice flavor that like hits that langostine really well. Like, I don't know. I, I thought it was I thought she played that really really well. Cool. Yeah. I'm, I'm biased against ceviche. Fair enough. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs>
2: you watch enough food shows and you're like please god no, um but I I I like the gameplay of it as well. We're having having the, like the palate cleanser like even just like put taste aside just like strategically giving them a kind of reset to appreciate the nuances of your last dish i think is super smart
1: yeah for sure i both of your opinions are valid i disagree <laughs> with them but they're both valid <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's it's okay you're allowed to hate ceviche
2: in podcasting you gotta disagree but be friendly you gotta disagree but interestingly and i think yeah. you're doing a great job of that a plus <laughs> <laughs> ah
0: well thank you yeah so uh so there we have it Manique gets a 93 brook gets a 90 we have a new champion this year on toc and uh brook said it, i'm fine i just hate losing it's like much crappier than winning which like yeah fair enough <laughs> you know you you win by a landslide the previous year you push through you you feel like you're on top of the world you maybe even almost had a better dish this time around but you broke your hollandaise and you lose it's a bad feeling brooks gonna have a have a drink or two in response to this and and you know come back next year motivated to win
1: yeah i mean looking at those scores i really don't know how if brooks hollandaise stays together she doesn't win that matchup Um, and, you know, it's the same as Darnell in the first year of Tournament of Champions leaving his fry bread off of yeah. the plate. Like, you make those simple cardinal mistakes in the heat of battle, and that's what sends you home. And that's why we all like competition cooking shows, because we're watching people who cook at an extraordinarily high level do things that we slap our own wrists for in our own dingy apartment kitchens. And are like, no, I can do it better than they can. So yeah, I mean it's it's a huge bummer, and I have really enjoyed watching Brooke Cook since the first Tournament of Champions, and through this one, I I think that she's an incredibly talented chef. I really want to try one of her restaurants the next time I'm out on the West Coast, but uh, yeah, I, I think that she had a very hard fought and an honest loss to Manit in this bracket.
0: Yeah
2: yeah it kills me like i i love competition shows and i hate conflict and so it's it's hard for me and i realized that top chef has my fa- i know like i'm I'm the top chef person in the room do you guys know about the top chef last chance kitchen it's like a top chef web series um wow. i'm seeing no i'm seeing puzzlement no. so basically uh starting from the first episode chefs that are eliminated from top chef each week after the first episode the one that was eliminated last time ch- ch- uh cooks against the one that was eliminated this time. Tom Colicchio goes in, tastes both of their dishes. It's like 20 minutes or something, very speedy, very similar to like a quick fire. And then whoever wins advances. And at some point during the season that the producers choose, whether it's like ap- after episode seven, after Restaurant Wars, sometimes, I think the last, the latest one was uh, was Kristen's season, and she came in like with only two people left, and she was the third, and then she won. So they depend on like when they bring the person back but the person gets back in the competition and I love that because it feels like you know when one person just makes that one silly mistake I want to know who like truly deserves to win and mm-hmm. I know that that's not completely possible and we're sort of making up rule systems you know and, and like choosing the one that works the best um, but I love that idea that just like the one thing you know you don't have to live forever thinking about that one mistake you get another chance to prove if you you know are the one who should go home or not and so from from that perspective I would love you know if it was a bigger bracket we could have like all, you know, the losers play against each other somehow, secondary bracket, whatever it is. I'm inventing a second television show. Um, but I, I love that it was this close. I feel like it's a great storyline um, for, for TOC3. And I wonder if there's anything you all want to see in the third term of champions apart from guy rethinking and getting a little less cute on his nicknames yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah i would really like to see that <laughs> mm-hmm. um yeah i i was gonna ask the same question i know i mean let's just say it bobby flay we want bobby flay we, we want to bobby, bobby, bobby flay, flay. We want when bobby guy flay. at the very end of the episode was like how are we gonna top this next year with his really strained voice that's been really strained this season he's had a You'll bad have to cold come back and see what we do for toc3 <laughs> Um, I was like, (laughs) the thing that you do to make TOC3 better is bring Bobby Flay into the show and let Bobby Flay compete. Uh, so that's my, like, that's my big one. I want Bobby Flay. Um, I think the other thing I would like to see more judges rotating in and out. I think, like I said last week, I think it is, like, completely ridiculous that we had, like, I think, I think Marcus was on all except for one episode. I think Nancy was also on all except for one episode. Yeah. And then that third judge consistently rotated. But, like, when I say consistently rotated, I mean it was Rocco, like, three times and then somebody else the other three, you know? Like, it really, we need more diversity in the judging panel in terms of, like, just switching it up a little bit more. Because people do start to build patterns. People can predict a little bit more. Like, if I know Marcus has been on every other episode, I'm going to assume I'm cooking for Marcus. And that's not completely blind judging.
1: Yeah, I agree with everything that's been said already. Like, I would love to see more judges. Um, There are certainly a few other chefs who I would love to see. Uh, I really would like to see Damaris Phillips in the bracket. Mm -hmm. She is probably my favorite on Food Network right now. Um, And yeah, you know, more judges for sure. I do think it would be really cool and interesting. They did a playoff bracket this year and kind of expanded with the after show and, and stuff like that. It'd be awesome if they did a losers bracket mm-hmm. next year, you know, to have yeah. that play-in opportunity. I think that's really interesting. When you were describing last ki- last chance kitchen, it went in my brain to like, oh, it's the Isle of Extinction and Survivor because that's the last reality show that I watched with that concept. Basically, but, um, just having that opportunity of like, you know, double elimination or or something more than you miss and you're out. I think would be really cool. I also think it would be really interesting to see them ditch the time requirement from the randomizer and sub that for like a whammy ingredient, Mm. you know, something that's really weird and out there. Because sometimes they get those sort of whammy situations from the protein and the produce, but I feel like maybe this year more than last year, protein and produce felt like they went together generally in some way. There were only a few battles throughout this whole season that I was like, that is... You can't put those two things together. That's food (laughs) crime right there. So I would really like to see them throw something really really ridiculous in there you know like mm-hmm. i want i want to see somebody make salmon roe with pork rinds Some or grocery or game shit. Silly like that oh yeah. yeah yeah like give me give me the terrible the terrible awful things they find for the chop baskets <laughs> like the chocolate bacon soda and shit of the like is what i would love to see in tournament of champions next year
0: yeah well and that's more in the spirit of guy's grocery games too right like we like on on triple g guy will just like decide this uh, this round. Like, oh, you know what? Actually, we got a red light special on, I don't know, uh, soap. Put it in your dish. And then you got to go put soap in your dish, and you got to figure out how to make it work. And I think, like, having... Yeah, replacing the time element and just having a fixed time for every match, like, it's always 45 minutes done. It's a little easier on people in terms of the time. Sometimes it's still going to be hard. Like, I, someone was saying, I think maybe... I think Alex Gornichelli was saying on some podcast I listened to recently that, like, when you see people coming down to the wire at the last second every single round of every single cooking show, that's real. That's not something that the producers add in. It's genuinely, no matter how much time you have, you're always going to be, play like, plating at the last, like, 10 seconds. And so, like, I think, yeah, like, having a fixed time is not going to change that, you know? I love that. I love whammy ingredients. That's really smart.
1: Yeah, and just, like, watching this finale where jet and Antonia's rematch was at 30 minutes but everybody else was at 50 mm-hmm. i was like i don't i don't really care how much time they have mm-hmm. it really doesn't matter to me yeah and like you said whether it's 35 minutes or 50 minutes they're always going to play it to the buzzer mm-hmm. so what's it matter when that buzzer hits they're gonna hustle the same either way yeah. and it's just kind of think it's a waste of a wheel on the randomizer
2: yeah, the that the thing that makes me go to chopped is like how can they make something passable and maybe pretty good out of this in like extreme circumstances. But the thing I love about this is that you get to see people at the top of their game same as iron chef like they have not all the resources in the world but they have enough that the focus can be on their their strategy and their thinking and their execution um and that is what i think is, is the best between these guys like I don't want to see anybody going home for you know a broken sauce they couldn't fix in five minutes or a fry bread left off the plate um so i think that would be really great i was also thinking i'm trying to um brainstorm categories that we haven't seen sort of randomized or played with before mm. and i realized that a lot of the time on chopped people will will pick like ridiculously bad plates for the dish that they have. And I think it'd be really cool to have a plating category oh, and for them ooh, to randomize the kind of so plate you have to use. Yeah, like the wooden slab, you know, the sort of like, um, I would call it like a Seder plate style, but like a big plate with like eight different little, you know, uh, bowls on it. Um, yeah. I'm trying to think what else? Like like a, a very shallow bowl, that little tiny bowl you couldn't fit like a baby's fist in, um, but it's like very big. So that that would be really interesting to oh, me.
0: I like that a lot, yeah. Because that, that I think is interesting because then it challenges the chefs who like are used to plating one specific way, right? Like you'll have yeah. people like when um when we went into the finale round last night, I as soon as they said one ingredient three ways, I was like, Manit's going to have this in the bag because a lot of like traditional Indian meals will have like 10 elements and like exactly. you will use a lot of the same ingredients slightly tweaked. So like, you know, you might make four different chicken curries that are like, you know, all a little bit different and all plated individually, and have that all be part of the same meal. And so I was like, oh, Manit's gonna crush this because this is her element. And I think that the idea of like having a plating requirement on the randomizer is so smart because it would take something like that and be like, okay, this one chef who's really good at doing it that way, and another chef like Jet who's really good at making one very simple, elegant, beautiful, perfect dish, both of you are now going to have to, you know, serve up your dish like on a three-tiered like platter figure it out make it look good and like yeah no, that's so smart i like that a lot Thank yeah you. i think
1: that'd be really awesome there's one thing i've always wanted in a competition food network show that i've never gotten and that is to have like just some fucking guy be one of the judges <laughs> like <laughs> i think that it would be really hilarious to like you know you have these three chef food critic like really refined palate Folks, and then they take the fourth plate and give it to somebody in the audience, and are like, You get 20 points, give them how you want. (laughs) Um, I've always thought that that would be really interesting just to see, like, and you know, it's funny, Tom. I know we've talked about it on Up for Discussion before about the accessibility of food and how often people like really blow out simple dishes Mm -hmm. and like make things seem so much crazier than they are to a point where they're really inaccessible to your average person going to a restaurant ordering yeah. something off a menu. And so I think it'd be really interesting to take some of this high class food and put it in front of someone who isn't used to eating that mm-hmm. sort of thing and, and get their honest opinion. And like, you know, the downside of that is you're going to get somebody like me who's like, I hate fish and mushrooms, so I don't like this one. Uh, and that's the downside of that mm-hmm. for sure. And I guess you have to weight that in some way. Sure. But just to have that, like, the the – You know, the audience insert, the everyday person give their opinion, I think would be really interesting. And also really level set some of these competitors who view themselves as such a high class, like, I make high quality, high class food. Like, we talked about Mark Murphy a couple of weeks ago where, like, there is no... Bringing Mark Murphy down below his level. Yeah, you exactly. know? He cooks at a five-star level, and he has no interest in doing anything else.
2: He's like twenty-six-dollar plates and above. Yeah, absolutely.
1: <laughs> that man does not go out for less than three-dollar signs. And no. so, like, I would love to see Mark Murphy cook a plate and then give it to like some college kid who's been eating ramen for ten months and yeah. have him be like, "This is terrible. Like, I hate everything on this plate." Just to see what
0: happens. Why don't yeah. we just let Ryder Fieri judge? from now on he's like 16 (laughs) right like yeah right perfect
2: (laughs) but i think that's why bobby flay is so good too because like bobby flay cooks fucking good food and like it's interesting and layered and like judges enjoy it for different reasons like it's so interesting that he does both you know beat bobby flay where it's like i don't know gonna make a miso soup if it's good they'll they'll like it you know versus people who get too chefy and too in their heads about it um but not again not to come too hard for top chef but that's one of my favorite styles of competition in top chef where the chefs are cooking for an audience and then also the judges um you know, judge it. So it'll be like a foodie festival. You know, that these fuckers who are in like an Aspen foodie festival are going to want like little weird Christinis and like obnoxious food. But then they literally went to a college cafeteria and everybody took a different station in the dining hall. And some of the people who were really high flying were making like very, you know, intellectual food because we're like, the fuck is this? And what they actually chose as the winner was like, macaroni and cheese or mashed potatoes or something like really homey that they wanted. And the chef was smart enough to know that. Um, and then the judges of course give their critiques from their perspective, but everything is considered in the judging. So I totally agree. That'd be so much fun. I, I hope that they could do, yeah, like in a food truck, you know, or or at a festival or when there's more people allowed to be in, in places. I think that would be such a fun way. Like I have no idea what Antonio would cook for a lot of people, you know?
1: Yeah. Right. Yeah. And there are some chefs who I think could really knock that out. And there are other chefs who I think are, so far removed from that yeah. mass, everyday accessible cooking that it would, it would really flip this bracket mm-hmm, on its head. Mm-hmm. You know, because I think Brooke is a great example too of like for how well she did. I've never seen Brooke put a plate out that I personally would want to eat. Mm-hmm. Everything yeah. has always been like that's a little too high class for me. I'm not, not super into it. Yeah, uh, and you know, versus somebody like Manet or uh, Marcus Samuelson is another really good one who have these homestyle restaurants who like they crank out Nashville hot chicken, put it over rice. I am in. Like, that's all I need. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I'm thinking about like Aaron May would have made it a lot further. Yeah.
2: Oh for sure. yeah, totally. And like, what would, um, what would Michael Voltaggio do? Like maybe he would do something really interesting and delicious and people are like fucking weird, but I'll have a second one. Uh, and maybe he would crash and burn. But I, I think that would be a really interesting take on it for sure.
0: I feel like Michael Voltaggio, Despite the fact that everything he does is so esoteric, I think that he probably understands what it's like to eat like a college kid more than any yes. other 40-year-old professional chef on the Food Network. He just, he has that energy, you know? Yeah, there's
1: there is a quote that I hear in a different universe from Michael Voltaggio. It's like, there's this, 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 and this, but fuck it, who cares? It's mac and cheese. Just eat it. It doesn't matter. <laughs> like, that's got big Voltaggio energy. Definitely.
0: Well... That is it. We did it. We we watched through the entire season of Tournament of Champions. We reviewed every single episode. That's it. We, we, we got through it. Maybe we'll be back again with more like this. Who knows? We're not going to make promises. Amanda, thank you so much for joining us.
2: Well, thank you for picking me up on the side of the road as a hitchhiker in search of a food show podcast. So I I greatly appreciate it. Um, And I I just thank you very much for having me. I'm I'm so sad this didn't last longer. I I wish it were, you know, it were even longer, but I know that because it's so short and sweet and rare, that's why we love it so much. Um, Mm -hmm. So thank you. And, you know, maybe meet
0: again at TOC3. Yeah, I mean, I think I'm going to put it out there now that if TOC3 does happen, I absolutely want to do this again. So hell yeah, dude. Yeah, Yeah. definitely. (laughs) plugs, things people want to plug before we wrap up?
2: I make podcasts um, and I run a podcast collective called Multitude. You can go to multitude.productions to see all of our shows as well as the free resources we put out for all kinds of podcasters. And I just started doing free consulting um, where you can meet with any member of the Multitude Collective um, if you are a member of an underrepresented group in audio want to do it as a career have a podcast just want to know how this stuff happens all that is at multitude.productions
1: cool yeah you can find me all over the internet at mc underscore dj underscore mc uh and if you like my voice when it's not quite as nasally as it is today um check out my podcast it's called debate this and we argue about stupid things and i just did a two-hour podcast about ghost rider which was a lot of fun And we also, if you're into this style of watch-along podcast, do a watch-along podcast for the Disney Plus Marvel shows called The Ploose is Loose. And our second season? I don't know. Can you call it a season when the show's last eight weeks? Our second season wraps up uh, this upcoming Saturday. So, love to have you over at The Ploose is Loose or debate this cast. You can find us on social media at both of those
0: things. Sweet. Uh, On my end... Obviously, if you're listening to this, you already know that Up for Discussion exists by virtue of this being that. Uh, I also host a show called Natural Toonie that is a Dungeons & Dragons playthrough podcast playthrough. That's not really what you call D&D shows, but you know what I mean. We're playing D&D. I DM one of the campaigns. I play a character on one of the others. It's a lot of fun. It's Canadian. It's goofy. It's, It's, you know full of all that good 2021 let's dismantle systems of oppression energy that people are looking for these days and uh, it is right here on the Upford Network which is uh, a premier network of podcasts based out of Montreal. There, At the time of this episode's release, there will be, I think, three or four days left for the Indiegogo campaign that we've been running for the past two months to help us uh, buy a whole bunch of new shit for the network, including a new editing computer to make this show on, and also to hire an intern this summer to like train someone and give them all the tools they need to make podcasts going forward. So if you're interested in helping us make podcasts awesome and accessible for years to come, Head over to the Indiegogo link in the description. Make that happen. We're like less than $200 away from being able to hire an intern this summer, which is rad.
2: That's so, so exciting.
0: Yeah. Help us make a paid internship happen because unpaid internships are bullshit. To clarify, we're not going to do an unpaid one if we don't make that money. That's that's not going to happen. It's just, you know.
2: Dismantle the heteropatriarchy capitalist system and pay your interns. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right. Well, for Up for Discussion's review of Guy Fieri's Tournament of Champions Season 2, I've been Tom i
2: I've been Matt Cole. I've been Amanda McLaughlin.
0: And remember, a cylinder is not a sphere. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to Up for Discussion. Do you have strong feelings about how any of these matchups shook up, shook down, shook out? <laughs> Tell me all about it on Twitter and Instagram at downwithtalking or at Tom Zalatni. If you like this episode and want to help me make the show even better, you can head to patreon.com slash up for discussion to donate. For as little as a dollar a month, you'd be joining the ranks of fine folks like Patrick, Gabriel, Kendall, and Carlea, Thomas, George, Poppy, Killian, Sarah, Angelica, Anne, Andrew, Laura, Erica, Chantal, and David. Our patrons get access to all kinds of rad perks, including the ability to request topics for episodes of the show during non-munch madness time. Uh, So go check that out again at patreon.com slash up for discussion. We also have merch, and you can hit the merch link in the description of this episode to get all sorts of great stuff from our lovely friends over at Tee Public, and of course you can support the show for free by leaving a rating and review on your podcatcher of choice and by sharing this episode with a friend our theme music is by Zach Ingalls our cover art is by David Flam you can find links for both of them in the description last but not least the show is produced and edited by me Tom Zalat and I as part of the Upford Network you can find out about all the great shows on our network at upfordnetwork.com you understand it just takes- i I'm Tevra Jemian, the producer and host of The Yeah! Podcast, a young adult lit review podcast focusing on amplifying the diverse voices in YA literature. Join us as we dig into the world of young adult books, reviewing new releases, revisiting old classics, and exploring what YA lit can teach us at any age. Discover the world of YA Lit through exclusive author interviews, book reviews, genre smackdowns, and more. The Yeah! Podcast, available through the upgrade Network, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and wherever else you find your podcasts. This is our book club, and you're invited. Yeah!
2: If you're someone who interacts with kids, you're probably familiar with moments of being asked questions you're just not equipped to answer. Whether it's the old favorite where do babies come from or the nuances of discrimination, Rad Child Podcast has your back. Each episode, your host, Seth Day, leads a discussion about topics like race, disability, loss, gender, sexuality, and so much more. Our goal is to give grown-ups the tools to talk to kids about almost anything. So come give a listen. Rad Child Podcast helping to raise a generation of open, compassionate, rad kids. Available on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and just about anywhere else.